Well, we're continuing our series of messages on, uh, on meeting Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, believe it or not, we're still in the first chapter, and we haven't gotten beyond the first 13 verses. This is my fourth sermon, which means we will be finished with this sermon series in the year 2020. <laughs> Next week, the sermon will be on the word, the... Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for bringing us here. Lord, we want nothing more than to hear what you would say to us. So, Lord, give us ears and hearts to, to hear it. And, Lord, having heard it, may we do it. Thank you for communicating to us through your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we begin with our gospel lesson this morning from the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter, beginning again at verse 9. <clears throat> at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And then these, these words from the letter to the Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. Immediately after Jesus is baptized by John, the Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted. There is no time for a baptismal party, for a reception, no time for champagne brunch for the newly baptized. But no, right away, Jesus is thrown into the desert to do battle with Satan. There is an urgency about what Jesus has come to do. There's no time to waste. Jesus' baptism and his temptation in the wilderness go together. These events are really inseparable. In baptism, God the Father gives his personal affirmation of Jesus as his only beloved son. A voice comes from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus' personal identity as the Messiah, the very Son of God, is confirmed, and the Spirit comes down upon him like a dove and equips him, empowers him for his special mission. His baptism marks the beginning of his public ministry. But right away, his baptismal identity is challenged. Will Jesus live out his identity as the Son of God? Would he remain true to his mission and remain obedient to God the Father? Or would he listen to the devil and seek his own glory? The Spirit drives Jesus into the barren Judean wilderness. 
away from the cooling water, away from the crowds, and away from whatever comforts that he had previously enjoyed, to be tested. Now, in the Bible, the wilderness is always a place of testing. In the days before King David, in the time of Moses, the children of Israel, the people of Israel, wandered around the wilderness of Sinai for 40 years. Their faith was constantly being tested. Would they worship their idols, the idols of their own making, or would they worship the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt? And now Jesus is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. In the wilderness, away from the usual props and distractions of life, one had to choose. Do you choose God or do you choose the devil? The testing was not easy. Jesus had a real battle on his hands. The temptations were very real. Sometimes I think we think that because Jesus was the Son of God and had all this power, that the, you know, the temptations were no big deal. I mean, you know, he battled Satan, and because of who he, who he is, you know, Jesus just beats the devil back. No big deal, right? But that's not right at all, because Jesus was fully human. And in his humanity, he felt the full brunt of the temptations set before him. Only he didn't give in. Now think about this. It is only the person who doesn't yield to temptation who feels the full extent of temptation's power. If you feel a temptation and you immediately give in to it, you haven't struggled. You haven't felt its power. You haven't resisted. You haven't been in the battle. Jesus felt, in his humanity, felt the full brunt of the temptations of the evil one. But he did not yield. He did not sin. Now, Mark does not detail the specific temptations of Jesus, uh, set before Jesus, as does Matthew and Luke. There is no mention of the temptation to satisfy his hunger by turning stones into bread, or to dazzle the crowds by flying off the, the tower temple, the, the temple tower without injury, or to win all the kingdoms of the world if only he would bow down to the devil. Mark doesn't talk about this at all. These temptations were there, no doubt, and many others. True to form, Mark's gospel account is very brief. I think that's why I like this gospel. It's just brief. You know, it's, it's, it's action-packed. So that the, the whole st story of the temptation of the wilderness is only two sentences in our English Bibles. He simply tells us that Jesus was tempted by Satan for 40 days. The important thing is that he has come to do battle with the evil one, with evil in all its forms. And evil can be very enticing. So again and again in the desert, Jesus hears the voice. The voice that says, if you are the son of God, then surely you can do this or you can do that. Come on, Jesus. God is only trying to keep you from the good things of life. You don't have to listen to God, your Father. Come now. If you are the Messiah, if you are the very Son of God, you can do what you want. Think of yourself first. You could exalt yourself. It's the same voice that was heard in the Garden of Eden. 
So the struggles of Jesus in the wilderness are very real and would continue throughout his ministry, climaxing again in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is tempted to avoid the path of suffering that leads to the cross. And though Mark doesn't detail the specific nature of the temptations, he includes a very interesting detail that's unique to his gospel. Mark's gospel says he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and he was with the wild animals and angels attended him. The wilderness was a very dangerous place. There were all kinds of wild animals that could do one serious harm. There were leopards and lions and poisonous snakes and scorpions. So when Mark talks about the wild animals or the wild beasts that were with him, is this an image of a new creation predicted in Isaiah and fulfilled in Christ where the wolf and the, and the, and the and lamb lie down together in, in perfect peace? When it says that Jesus was with the wild beasts, has Jesus tamed the beasts as a sign of the new creation that's in Christ, all subservient to Christ the Lord? Or are the wild beasts mentioned in, by Mark, are they symbols of the terrible dangers of the vast, haunting, and untamed Judean wilderness? And I'm inclined to, to, uh, to believe this last view. The wilderness, the place of temptation, is indeed a very dangerous place. Jesus had to con contend with wild animals. Now, this is kind of interesting in my study. Some scholars think that Mark is actually thinking of his Roman readers. Mark, the gospel, was probably written in Rome during the time of the emperor Nero. Not a great time for Christians, actually. So it may be that Mark, in putting this gospel together, is thinking of his Roman readers, who would have been well aware of the savagery of Nero, who delighted in throwing Christians to the wild beasts in the arena. In the 60s of the first century, we are told by the Roman historian Tacitus that the followers of Jesus were covered with the hides of wild beasts and torn to pieces by dogs. So perhaps Mark was comforting the Roman readers, his Roman readers, with the thought that Jesus also was thrown among the wild beasts, the wild animals. And as the angels ministered to him, so too would the angels minister to them as they faced martyrdom. Kind of an interesting detail. Only Mark says that Jesus was with the wild beasts and the angels took care of him. So although the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, pushes Jesus out into the wilderness to be tested, God the Father does not abandon his son. God gives him strength through the angels that care for him and he is able to overcome temptation. So then, what does this all mean for you and me? As for Jesus, our baptismal identity is always constantly actually being tested. When we give our lives to Christ and when we are baptized in his name, we are immediately thrown into battle. It is a spiritual battle, and the, pan, and the battle continues throughout our lives. 
we become more and more sensitive to the pull between good and evil within us and outside in the world as well. We can more and more understand Paul's struggle, the Apostle Paul, who said, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And why do I not do the things I know I ought to do? Actually, being aware of your spiritual battles, of the pull between good and evil in you and in your heart, is a sign of spiritual health. Do you know that? Feeling the pull of temptation is actually a good thing, for it means that you are spiritually alive. It is those who never met a temptation they didn't give in to who are dead to the spirit. Now, temptation comes fast and furious in life. Sometimes it feels as though the tempter has custom designed our temptations, you know, kind of like they fit us like a glove. The evil one attacks us at our weak points. It could be temptations of power or pleasure or comfort or self-indulgence, greed, lust. Gluttony, I could go on and on. It's easy to sell out to all of these things because they are so attractive initially. Temptations are often good things that we love too much. Temptation comes to us as angels clothed in light. When I think of the enticing nature of temptation, I think of Edmund, in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, in the line of witch in the wardrobe, Edmund, he had a fatal weakness. He had a fatal weakness for Turkish delight. Edmund couldn't get enough of the stuff. So listen to C.S. Lewis from the line of witch in the wardrobe. The queen, the wicked queen, you know, let another drop fall from her bottle onto the snow, and instantly there appeared a round box tied with green silk ribbon, which, when opened, turned out to contain several pounds of the best Turkish delight. Each piece was sweet and light to the very center, and Edmund had never tasted anything so delicious. At first, Edmund tried to remember that it's rude to speak with one, one's mouth full. But soon he forgot about this and thought only of trying to shovel down as much Turkish delight as he could. And the more he ate, the more he wanted to eat. At last, the Turkish delight was all finished. And Edmund was looking very hard at the empty box and wishing that she would ask him whether he would like some more. Probably the queen knew quite well what he was thinking, for she knew, though Edmund did not, that this was enchanted Turkish delight, and that anyone who had once tasted it would want more and more of it, and would even, if they were allowed, go on eating it till they killed themselves. Edmund was willing to sell his own soul to get more of that stuff. He was willing even to sell out his friends, if need be. Turkish delight was so enticing, it was positively deadly 
So what is Turkish delight for you and for me? What is that for us? What are the good things that we love too much that get in the way of God's best for us? What is our Turkish delight? It's probably different for each of us, actually. Now, it's important to note that temptation is not the same thing as sin. Temptation is the incitement, the, the incitement, it's the, the pull. The sin is to yield to it and to act upon it. Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said of you and me. But the test for us is whether you and I will live out our baptismal identity. God says to us what he said to his son at his baptism. You are my dear, dear child whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are mine. You belong to me. And I've given you a new purpose, a new mission in life. Follow in my way. We are children of the king now. We are kingdom subjects. We have died to sin and now we are alive to the spirit. So the question is, will you and I be true to who we are in Christ? Will we live out our God-given identity as children of God? Or will we become children of the devil and give in to the tempter's most tempting temptations, which are all around us all the time. And you know, every time we give in to temptation, every time we listen to the devil, we are being someone who we are not. We are not being true to ourselves. That's the greatest temptation we face, being someone we are not. Again, we are children of God in Christ. We belong to him. That's our identity. We are sons and daughters of the king. But sometimes we don't live out that identity. Have you ever tried to be someone who you are not because you thought it might get you ahead in your business or in your profession or at school, in your social circles? Have you ever trimmed your moral sails so that you could gain some advantage over others or so, so that you could fit into the group and be popular? Have you ever cheated or used illicit drugs or gotten into the whole sex thing or lust of power and prestige, compromising your Christian values only to feel badly afterwards because you knew you just weren't being true to who you were in Christ? It's an awful feeling. It's hard looking at yourself in the mirror and knowing that you have sold out and that you have betrayed not only God, who's called you, but you betrayed yourself in a way. You weren't true to who you were, who you are. So that when temptations come our way, in whatever form they take, we can make a point of remembering who we are and to whom we belong. Remember a church member, she was uh, telling me about, uh, you know, being a teenager and uh, 
how, how uh, when she was a teenager, you know, the, she got into the dating thing, and the boys would come over, and, uh, and, uh, and as they were going out for the evening, her father would always say to her, remember who you are. Remember who you are and whose you are. But we're always forgetting, aren't we? We have to remind ourselves again and again that we are children of the king. We have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous light. Once we were no people, but now we are God's people. If we remember who we are, recalling our baptism, our identity in God, we'll be more likely to act accordingly to live faithfully and true. Remember who you are. I remember, uh, I've said this before, but when Martin Luther felt temptation, boy, he had lots of temptations, that guy. He was struggling with the devil all the time, threw ink at him and everything. But whenever he felt temptation, he would always put his hand on his head and he would say, I am a baptized Christian. I belong to Jesus Christ. I am beloved by him. And I will stay true to my calling, my identity. And, uh, and after Martin Luther would put his hand on his head that way, he said the devil would always flee. So that might be a good strategy, right? Remember who you are. There's a story about a soldier in the army of Alexander the Great who was brought before the great world conqueror for a court-martial. And when the emperor had listened to the charges against this guy, had examined the evidence, he turned to the soldier facing condemnation and said, Soldier, what is your name? And the soldier was kind of trembling in his boots, saying, well, My name is Alexander. What is your name? Alexander, sir. And the emperor flew into a rage and said, you are called by the name Alexander? You are, you are guilty of the crime as charged and now you must pay the penalty. Either you must change your conduct or change your name for no man can bear the name of Alexander, my name, and do the things you have done. You and I, who are called by his name, have a responsibility to live as he would have us live. Now, it's also helpful to remember when dealing with temptation is that we are not helpless. Really, we're not. We're not helpless. We can make right choices. Each one of us is personal, personally responsible for the way we live our lives. We are not simply victims. We can choose not to give in to temptation. Scripture says, choose this day whom you will serve. Again and again, we're confronted with a choice, really, are we going to live God's way or are we going to live our way, the devil's way? I mean, constantly. It's the battle, right? We have to decide. When faced with temptation, you and I can make the right choices. We can choose to live for God. We can be the people that God has called us to be. 
Actually, when dealing with temptation, it's also helpful to not purposely put yourself in, in uh, tempting situations. You know what those are, right? There are certain places that you ought not to go. There are certain things you ought not to see. It doesn't help to go anywhere near those places. Steer clear. Dealing with temptation, we can claim the help of Christ himself. Listen again to the letter of Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You and I do not have a Lord, we do not have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. He has been tempted in every way, just as we are. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, it all except for the sin. So we need to walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. We can take his mercy. We can accept the help. He wants to be there for us. He knows how to help us win the battle. As someone put it, when temptation comes knocking at your door, say, Lord, would you mind answering that for me? And the Lord, in his strength, can chase it away. Claim his help. When you're tempted, picture Jesus, however you picture Jesus. He's there with you. Claim his mercy, claim his help. And he can help you remain true to yourself, to your baptismal identity in Christ, if you let him. You and I have been called by God. We are God's people. We live a different way. Live out your God-given identity. Be true to who you are in him. Let's pray. Lord, life is a battle, and constantly we deal with these impulses within us. Our selfish passions, our desires, sometimes just want to take control. But Lord, we call upon you to help us. We want to be the people you have called us to be. Only by your spirit, by your power, can we make any progress. Lord, in you we are new creatures. We are a new creation. The old life is gone, the new has come. Help us to pick up our mats and walk into newness of life. Lord, help us to live out our calling, that we might be faithful to you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen and amen.